It's Cardboard Time episode number 38, and I'm your host, Arwen Kathke. I am running solo today, and I do have a couple of things to talk about up front, so let's get right into it. I was a guest on the Sheer Boredom Table Talk show with Roberto Lopez, who was on a few episodes ago. I always love talking to him. We had a wonderful chat together, and I can't wait to get back to in-person gaming because at the very latest, I'm going to see him at PAX Unplugged this year, play some games with him, hang out with him. I absolutely love Roberto, and I think that you will love this interview as well. So go check that out. The link's in my socials, and if you do want to search for it on YouTube, it is sheer as an S-H-E-A-R, boredom as in B-O-A-R-D-O-M, table talk, and that should get you to the YouTube link. And it was an outstanding game night for P-Flag that we had up at the Malted Meeple. I think it's so incredibly important for people to have a venue, to be out and open and be themselves, and provide some fun activities. And, you know, at the very least, we get to play some fun board games. Uh, We did get to play Cartographers. We got to play Monstrosity, so some favorites. And then, of course, we spent way too much time talking amongst ourselves. So had a wonderful time. Thanks again to the Malted Meeple for being awesome to us as always. We love hanging out up there. Malted Meeple up in Hudson, Ohio. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about Valeria Card Kingdom's Dark Sworn and have an interview with Adam Collins of Eat Lunch and Board Game and Bearded Board Games. And today's beer of the day is a special one. It is the Samuel Adams Utopias from Boston, Massachusetts. And remember when I said that I really, really like it when Craig comes over for game day? Well, he absolutely outdid himself yet again and brought over a absolute masterpiece. This is a strong ale, and I do mean strong at 28%, but this is really unlike anything that I've ever experienced. I really kind of think that the magic is in the fact that it's been barrel-aged for 16 years in bourbon, sherry, brandy, cognac, and Portuguese muscatel finishing casks. So just this blend of different casks that it, it, it's wild, um, the flavor that all of those impart. So... As to be expected, with all of those, there was an absolutely strong barrel nose up front. But then, once it got to the back end, it was a free-for-all. Craig and I wound up detecting all sorts of flavors on the back end, from uh, muscatel cherries, most notably, uh, to apricot, maple, vanilla, and caramel. But all of them were very rich and very, very pleasant. The beer also tasted different as it basically sat longer. It mellowed out on the front end to reduce that upfront barrel nose, and you got to taste some of those more subtle flavors on the back end. So this was kind of, I wasn't sure if I was gonna give it a 4.75 or a five, 
with that initial taste, I was like, this is really, really heavy on on the barrel nose up front. Once you could appreciate it a little bit more, this definitely moved into that five category. And I'm really hoping that someday I get to try it again. Uh, It's an experience I'm absolutely thrilled that I got to have. And we got to play a couple games. We got to play Lawyer Up, and we also got to play Villainous. Lawyer Up is a fantastic game. And Villainous, I'm still not sold on. I think it's going to leave the collection at this point. I might have something worked out with Justin that he might pick it up from me. Just not feeling it. Just not my speed. So uh, Villainous leaving the collection. And it is time to check the shelf of shame. It is at 156, and that is up three. Now, no new purchases. Uh, I did get a Kickstarter in, which was Wonderland's War, which I've already played. We talked about that way back when uh, we got to play it on Tabletop Simulator. And now that I've actually been able to see it in person and see the component quality, I do have some additional thoughts on it, um, but I do want to get another game in person under my belt to really kind of give those out. So uh, do expect those coming up shortly. But as you could tell, three new additions. How did I get there? I mentioned on Twitter that one of my top five current want to play games was Bake Easy Busking. I heard a lot of great things about it. It is a very different theme and that intrigued me. I got a message from my good friend Beth that I could have a copy in the mail, and a couple days later, a copy was right on my doorstep along with two other games. Uh, so I got Big Easy Busking, Roar and Wright, a Animal Kingdoms game, and Lost Kingdoms Pangea in Pieces. Definitely looking forward to all of those. I've been meaning to try out a few of the Weird Giraffe offerings. Uh, I do like some of these different games from the mainstream that you always hear about. It gives me an opportunity to kind of change things up, and I've heard some really good things, so I'm very excited. This gives me a great opportunity to do just that. And a huge thanks to Beth. I love her. Definitely make sure to check out her Twitter, at BethMakesGames. Uh, She is a super fantastic, very, very positive person all around and just a beacon of light. Definitely want to go follow her if you want some good Twitter content. And as far as what I got played, well, that's sad at zero. Nothing off of the shelf of shame. I did have a stomach bug that kept me from playing too many games, which is why I only have one thing to talk about on today's episode really recovering from that that took me out of out of things for for quite a while so hopefully after uh after this episode i'll get to play a little bit more i am feeling much much better and as far as what i've been playing i told you that i wanted to talk about valeria card kingdoms dark sworn from 2021 this is an expansion to the base game from one to five players Plays in 60 to 120 minutes, designed by Isaias Vallejo, and the art is by Mihalo Dmitrievsky, published by Daily Magic Games. 
And the goal of Valeria Card Kingdom's Dark Sworn is to introduce cooperative play into the Valeria world through groups of related books called sagas. These books will lead players through the story that unfolds during the game and offers greater immersion into the Valeria setting. New roles and cards will be introduced in each book, some lasting only through the current book and some persisting through the unfolding saga, somewhat like a quote-unquote legacy game. Darksworn uses six-book decks to tell a story of wonder, sacrifice, and adventure as you explore the territory west of Valeria and encounter a darkness that cannot go unchecked. Each book presents you with a set of new rules and several tasks that must be completed by your gaming group in order to advance to the next book in the saga. Within each book, you'll find special boons to assist you and powerful monsters to challenge you. Your team will have to strike a balance between building effective tableaus of citizens that will allow you to complete the tasks and defending the decreasing center stacks of citizens that are the health of your kingdom. So I've always liked Valeria Card Kingdoms. I like the mechanisms of games that you can roll dice. If you match something that you have, you get stuff. It's really an engine builder game, very similar to Machikoro or Space Base. Uh, And again, you roll dice, you basically get stuff. So this, you actually get each individual die and then the sum of both dice as well, which makes it very fun, makes it very rewarding. You know, you just get a bunch of stuff as you roll and you just get this flood of resources. It's great. Uh, Very, very satisfying. Love that mechanism. And honestly, sometimes it's good to go back to older games and play some expansion content that you haven't cracked open yet. I got this late last year. I was excited to play it, never really got it to the table, and that's exactly what I did here. I just said, you know what? I'm gonna take the time now. I'm gonna crack it open. I'm gonna play through this as I recoup and recover, and we're gonna get this done. So yeah, again, I've always liked Valeria quite a bit. The opportunity to make it co-op is just going to extend out the gameplay group that I can get this out with. That makes it really nice. Uh, You can teach it easier because, again, co-ops, you're able to teach as you go along. You know, you're not feeling that pressure to be super competitive with people. So I definitely did like that. Uh, I'm going to try to do this with as few spoilers as possible not get really too in-depth into the story. I should be able to do that fairly well. The story itself was pretty generic fantasy. You're basically risen heroes trying to fight against enemies to prevent a dark force from taking over the world. That's what it boils down to. You're not really going to find anything special. If you're used to Valeria, you're just going to find more of it. Maybe dive a little bit more into that world. That's going to be about it. I did like that each book felt different. They had unique mechanisms. You had unique challenges to work through. And I was able to get through each book relatively unscathed, but each one was definitely a fight. I was down to one or two of those cards that were, again, your health, and the monsters are chipping away at that. And some of these special monsters that are introduced have a way of just 
wiping out a lot of your resources at one time if you're not careful about it. So I love the balance that this game really kind of forced you into in really being smart with where you're focusing your resources when you were trying to advance the book, which you had to do, but also made the game harder each time that you did it. So you got a little bit of a benefit from doing it, but you also just made that game harder. So if you had your board as a mess, you really want to clean that up and keep that in check. So I love the balance that they made with this. That was probably my favorite part of this, uh, besides those all those unique mechanisms uh, and challenges that, that you got to work through. So the story is resettable once you're done with it. You're able to go back, look at all the cards, put them back in order, and it, it's fairly simple to do. You know, you just basically have the tokens that are loose and you'll bring those out as the game progresses the next time that you go through it. And it also comes with a shifting one-shot uh, dungeon. So you have a bunch of cards that you're going to be working with. You only play through a few of them in each run that you make of this dungeon. It'll allow you to play it post-campaign with a lot of different variety. I do wish that I was able to incorporate more of the special campaign elements into that mode. I really found some of those things extremely fascinating. I know that it would be difficult to probably do that and execute it very easily, especially if somebody hadn't played through the story before. But I do wish that you had been able to see those more uh, than just the story itself. So that is one thing. I know that the balance would have been tough on it, but I also would have liked to have seen it as well. So that was that was kind of my my big caveat for for that. But no, overall, I thought it was it was very well produced, a very welcome addition, uh, and a must for me as a, a fan of the series as it extended out that potential player base. And hopefully will allow me to get this game out to more people, especially with that endless dungeon mode. I might run through the story on a harder difficulty with some seasoned players if the opportunity arises, get an afternoon, and we really want to go through that campaign. I, I do like the potential to really keep running those cooperative dungeons and uh, this is sticking around in my collection. I mean, it's in my big Valeria box that I've got now, and uh, this isn't going anywhere. So very happy with Valeria Card Kingdom's Dark Sworn. And make sure to stay tuned for my interview with Adam Collins coming up next. On today's interview segment, we have Adam Collins. Adam hosts Eat Lunch and Board Game, a podcast about board games playable during a lunch break with coworkers and the people in the board game industry. Adam also designs and publishes games with bearded board games. And I think the more appropriate question is, what don't you do, Adam? <laughs> I, I can tell you that straight up, no question, I don't win the games. Okay. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I play them, I design them, I don't I don't win them. I don't win them at all. I've had a uh, pretty bad streak myself lately, so I can commiserate. <laughs> well, we have a trophy at the office, a traveling trophy 
for whoever wins that week's game. And that trophy has not been at my desk for a while now, so. Uh oh. <laughs> I feel like I should bring in a game I know I can win just so I can get it back, but that feels a bit mean. <laughs> There's wrestling, like sometimes wrestlers have like their own title that they come up with just because they're tired of, you know, wrestling for the mainstream titles. So they just make up something and, you know, then that becomes legitimate and everybody wants to see what that is. <laughs> there you go. I'll be the Intercontinental <laughs> Champion. <laughs> there you go. Or the FTW Champion, you know, it, yeah. it, it works. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? Sure. So, like you said, I'm a podcaster. My show is Eat Lunch and Board Game, where I try to review games that can be played in 30 to 60 minutes. So you can get them in either the lunch hour or the lunch half hour. And then I've branched out to interviewing people from other facets and all facets of the industry that I can find. I've had authors. I've had other game designers. I've had artists. I had you on my show. Um, and then I had a cross-stitch designer. She sold board game-themed cross-stitch patterns on Etsy. And I reached out to her, like, why not, you know? So um, do a little bit of everything that I can on the show. I do play a lot of games on my lunch hour. Luckily, the pandemic is lifting, so we can kind of get back to mm -hmm. playing because for a while they didn't want us to have large groups, so we had to kind of put it on hold. At that time, the trophy was on my desk, so it sat oh. there for a long time. But I didn't have to defend it, so. <laughs> so tell us uh, a little bit more. When you say that board games build bridges, um, the end of every single podcast that you do, and I just heard that because I was just on <laughs> a recording session, uh, what do you mean by that, and, and what's your mission with that? So this whole thing started, I worked at a company that was very segmented, very siloed. And if you worked in your division, you knew the people in your division, and that was it. And it was a pretty large company and a pretty large building. We had about 220 people in the building. But I'm, as you can probably guess, uh, a very social person. And so I kind of got to meet people from other divisions. And one of my own co-workers from my department, we started talking about playing the Settlers of Catan. So I brought it in. That slowly snowballed to four, five, six people every day coming in. And then people from other departments would see us going into this conference room with, you know, a game. And they would poke their heads in and, what are you doing in here? And so... They started playing, and what started off as Settlers of Catan, one game and about five people. Uh, within three years, we had about 20, 22 people, and we had played all kinds of games that we could play in an hour or less, and sometimes more if it was a Friday. Um, mm -hmm. And so when I say that they when they build bridges, it really started building the bridges when we took it i worked on a, a campus right there was more than one building and we started branching into the other buildings on campus and then they were like oh you guys can do this wow well we've been outsourcing that so then they contacted this person in, in my building and then we went over there to look at something from my department to help them out and then you know we started breaking down those barriers those silos 
and taking away the mystery of these other divisions, these other departments, you know, they're not, you know, these crazed lunatics, you know, that sit in the corner of the hunchback in their calculator, you know, they, these are real <laughs> people that you can go talk to. Mm-hmm. And it really, really helped bring the, the whole building together. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. And I think that that whole story really it, it's important to network at work. I think that I've seen that through my 15 year career that I've had, you know, really getting to know people. And what better way of getting to know people than through gaming? I mean, sitting down at a table with somebody, sharing lunch and sharing, uh, you know, a a nice, relatively friendly board game, probably most (laughs) of the time. Yeah, well, that's what you know, this whole new board game renaissance that we've been going through these last 30 years now, it's hard to believe that Catan is like 25 years old and, and, and getting older, but the different styles of games that are out there, right? So we get a lot of pushback from some people who they don't want to, they don't like competitive games. They don't like fighting, infighting with people. And I'm like, hey, have you heard of cooperative games? Mm-hmm. And you bring in Castle Panic, you bring in Pandemic, where you're working together to defeat the game. And that's just, you know, one more person now that's in that I've indoctrinated into the hobby. And, you know, I, I just think that being able to find games to play with different people based on what they know, what they do and don't like has been really beneficial. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with, with my podcast, right? As I'm trying to reach out to these people that are in employee engagement at their office or uh, talent development at their office, training, like these are, you know, training is a great way. You, you know, a lot of times you all sit around and you do the forced icebreaker. What if you just sit around and play a game of castle panic for 30 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. just a, some. I'm totally out there instead of write down your dog's first name, you know, and see if anybody else had a dog named the same or whatever they do. And so I've been trying to reach out to those people in those industries and get them to start thinking about using board games as employee engagement and talent development. And one of the things you mentioned pandemic, and I think when I look at that from a manufacturing point of view, I know that I've worked in plants most of my life. So there's always this firefighting that's going on. And one of the main contentions that I've always had is that you can never just sustain yourself by fighting fires all day. You have to get to the root cause of an issue every once in a while. And what better way to teach that balance than with pandemic, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Another good one would be like Forbidden Island, where the island Mm -hmm. is, if you don't, you can't just run around trying to, you know, you have to keep fortifying those tiles or the island will disappear and you lose. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like this, this makes so much sense. I mean, I, I think that quite honestly, it is 100% the wave of the future when it comes to talent development and, uh, you know, networking, especially. I, I think that you're definitely onto something with this. Yeah, and I what I kind of would do with it also with these new, the younger generation, this newer generation of kids, we'll call them kids coming out. Yeah, I'm old now, yeah. right? Once they're, you cross forty, I think kids. it is. 
<laughs> Young whippersnappers, whatever you want yeah, to call them. They, <laughs> they already know the gaming hobby, and so trying to make them feel comfortable to play at the office, um, luckily at my old company, they were cool with it. And then my new office, they are really tr- – again, I work at a company that's three small companies in one building, and – it's amazing how many people have been with the company for eight or ten years and don't even know the person on the other side of the wall. And But now I know people in all the departments and we play games together. So, you know, like I said, it's just a fun way to get to meet people and try – you know, we got some young people in there, some old people in there, older than me. Um, so you just – you get all kinds of people together and just bond over playing a game. And I'm just super impressed – that you were able to get a game of Catan set up and played at lunch. Like I've, I have never even thought to do that. So we, what we found was to give everybody their own set of dice. Okay. That makes somehow that sped the game up tremendously. Well, we had one guy that felt like every time he was rolling the dice from Catan, he was shooting craps and then we had to go find all the dice. So (laughs) once we gave everybody their own, yeah, just kind of, uh, but once everybody had their own set, we were able to really speed the game up. We started playing a lot of the different expansions and the scenarios and the variants and um, some fan-made ones, even the volcano. You know, <laughs> we we really went we really went deep into into the world of Catan. <laughs> so let's shift a little bit. What do you or did you have on Kickstarter? I know that you've. Uh, been the designer on multiple games, and you've uh, been very active on Kickstarter. So tell us a little bit more about that experience. One day I was sitting in a meeting, as you know, all corporate Americans suffer, and this idea for a board game came to me, and I literally drafted out on the back of the agenda for the meeting my game. And I had drawn and notes and arrows and all kinds of stuff, and when I got done with it, I'm like... I think this is solid. We should, you know, I should totally do this. So I built my first prototype. And as anybody who's designed a game will know, uh, I brought it in, shared it with our group, and it was a disaster. It didn't work. It worked great in my head, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out why it didn't work on the table. Then we kind of tweaked a little bit here and there and changed a few things, changed some rules, and really just kind of pushed the game into the direction it needed to go. And then another one of my coworkers was like, hey, I got an idea for a game too. And so we worked on his game. That became Fences, which was our first game to come to market. We took that to Kickstarter. We took his game over mine for a couple different reasons. One, there were less components. And so if anybody designs games, you know that the, the less components you can have, the cheaper the cost of the game is. So that was one thing. Two, it needed way less artwork than my game. And again, since neither one of us are artistically inclined, when you have to pay for every piece of art, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I just need a cow, a sheep, a pig, that's it. You know, yep. a couple of different versions of each and some ground for them to lay on. Way cheaper than mine that needed like nine items plus three items plus a player mat plus, you know. So we went with his game first because we were afraid that it would go sideways on us and the risk would be less 
if we used his game over mine and go sideways, it did. And <laughs> long story short, we had to cut ties with our initial uh, production company. They couldn't meet quality. We had to go the traditional route of through China, which then the game weighed more. So we crossed that that pound line. So it went from mailing out for four or five bucks to mailing out for seven or eight or nine, depending on how mm. far away from St. Louis, Missouri you are. So we were losing four dollars a game, every game to ship it. It just it was like when one thing went wrong, it was just this giant snowball of problem after problem after problem and uh we got through it and I'll say we took our lumps and we're ready to go again. So we do have another game coming up launching mid-April called Shark Hunt. And this time around, we decided to license a game from a friend of mine who he had the idea for the game. We took it. Then we did some development on it. So it was a solo mono a mono you against a shark. But now we've made it one to four players, multiple sharks different little different mechanic uh we're excited for that one as we spoke earlier the the pandemic slowed us way down with uh mm. play testing with art or uh, not so much art but getting the prototypes together getting quotes together so <laughs> I, think, I think we've got it all ready to go Things have been kind of a nightmare when it comes to that, you know, especially with the pandemic. It's been so interesting to interview people and just hear their stories about what went wrong, some sometimes what <laughs> went right, especially when it came to uh, playtesting. A lot of people kind of found new ways to playtest and and get their get their game kind of on tables, which I found fascinating. Oh, yeah. So we did an expansion pack for Fences that we finished the playtesting during the beginning of the pandemic. And so, again, playing at lunch, but from our houses because we're all working from home now. So I had my phone rigged up in the kitchen light with a or the uh, dining room table light, sorry, and a ruler holding it in place over the table. We had a sticky note with an arrow. So... No matter how the phone orientated that day for the video conference, we could say that was up. And then okay. it's a tile lane. It's a tile lane game. So we literally <laughs> finished playtesting like the last two or three expansions with this phone rigged up in there with everything on mute so that only one microphone was working. And my son's down there playtesting with us and we had the up arrow so we knew which way and <laughs> so we had a blast with it. It was it was something else and I wish I was recording some of those because, man, it was hilarious. We'd be we'd be like, no, no, the other direction. No, clockwise. Wait, you're clockwise or my clockwise? Clockwise is always clockwise. <laughs> but is it mirrored being up in the thing? No, man. Okay, clockwise. Okay, now where did you want that? <laughs> <laughs> It was a it was a hoot trying to finish uh, playtesting those expansions. It certainly sounds like a challenge and one that you seem to have overcome. So, <laughs> any any other lessons that you've learned from your experience with Kickstarter that you'd like to share with the audience? Absolutely. If you want to be a designer and go to Kickstarter, I, I recommend it. It's a great way to bring your your idea to market, to bring it to people that wouldn't otherwise be able to find it and have your game. 
but you need to really understand the costs of your game. My biggest advice is find what the break-even point is. Don't don't set up your Kickstarter to like make a million bucks because they won't. <laughs> they just won't. But if you know you only need five thousand dollars, set it at seven so you have a little bit of a buffer in there, and then go. But if you know you need five thousand, don't set it at fifteen. Kickstarter is not new, so people know you're just trying to make money. If you're trying to make money, sell your game to a publisher. If you're trying to do that, if you're trying to get your game out there, hit that minimum and go with it. The other thing I can say is find good reviewers that have a lot of uh, following. Um, and you're going to have to pay for at least one one review so that you have that big name behind you. But be wary of what uh, some reviewers will do. <laughs> <laughs> Any any experiences with that? I would say the one thing I would always that I do now when I look for reviewers is I ask them to at least throw a dollar at the campaign because if you paid a bunch of money for the, somebody to do a review for you and they don't back your game, they don't get that. So if you don't know how Kickstarter works, you can follow people and then it lets you know, hey, so-and-so just backed this game. Which every Tuesday I get 45 emails of all the people that I follow backing all the new games because they all launch on Tuesday. And if you don't get that, it doesn't tell them what level they back that. It just says, hey, Adam, back this game. So if I backed it for a dollar, all the people that follow me get an email saying, Adam, back this game. And then that prompts them to go look at the game. And... If you don't get that backing, that $1 backing from your reviewers, then their review can kind of be wasted, as happened to us. And we paid a lot of money, and they didn't throw a dollar at it, and their review is viewed a couple hundred times since it went live. I haven't checked lately, but it's only been viewed like four or 500 times. And, my, and I spent a lot of money on that. That's an interesting way of, of looking at it. I had never actually thought of it from the perspective of people who follow that reviewer basically driving traffic through that email uh, that gets sent out after they do the backing. That's that's something that I'd never thought about before. So very, very interesting. Yeah, I just it's to me, like I said, that's like the important thing, right? You get like I follow I don't know how many people, but uh, a couple of my friends that I follow, you know, they follow me, I follow them. I get that email, I'm like, oh, well, if Joe's looking at that game, I definitely should go check out what that game is. And I don't, I don't always back it, but, you know, because Joe backed it, I'm going to go look at it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying if they, it's important that you get that, at least that $1 backing so that, heck, I'll send you a dollar if you just back it. <laughs> For a dollar, I'll pay your. I'll pay you back. I'll pay you your dollar. <laughs> That's right. I'll pay your dollar back to you. I want your followers to to look at my game. Exactly. No, very good. Um, any other stories that you'd like to tell about your time designing games? So back back to the game that I designed on the back of the uh, agenda. Uh, one of the guys that I would game with. He came up to me one day and he was like, hey, what did you guys play at lunch today? I wasn't able to make it. I said, mind your own business. And he goes, honestly, Adam, 
I don't know if that's a game that you played or if you're just telling me to get lost. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, it's not a bad name for a game. Mind your business. And so that was the working title of my game for a long time. Um, we just changed it to Under Construction because we just kind of got away from the Mind Your Business uh, theme. But uh, that was a funny one that we did. Uh, you know, with a lot of hits and misses. Had a dodgeball game that didn't really work out. Um, a couple 18 card games that just just didn't work. Like the game's there, but we couldn't fit it in 18 cards. And so we're gonna come back to those later and, and expand them out to what they need to be. But we were trying to fit in a couple of the 18 card competitions and it just wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> and that's some of the best advice that I've had from uh, people that, do design games on a regular basis is that sometimes you do have to drop that design that you really care about, that you're really actively pursuing, but you're just kind of stuck and come back to it later. You know, maybe, maybe you need time. Maybe you need some sort of spark to kind of, you know, just get you over that hurdle. But sometimes you just have to let that thing go, you know, a a little bit. To the back burner anyways. <laughs> Absolutely. We've had to do that on a couple. Well, we'll put a pin in this one. We'll come back. We have one called Space Race that we just... The idea is sound, but doesn't... It just... Something's not right. And we can't figure out what's wrong with it. So we just kind of... Eh, this is, we'll put this box of stuff in the corner and we label it. And we'll come back to it later. Yeah. Maybe. Or we'll pilfer Maybe. it for the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We had a bunch of tiles in that game. Go steal it from that box. <laughs> <laughs> the the ever-present box O components. That's right. Yes, I have a one. I'm not sure where mine is right now, but yeah, I have a big old box of random parts and pieces. No dice. They're in a whole different box, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I got a box of card stock and decks of cards and broken you know, games that didn't have everything anymore, so I got rid of parts of it and just kept the you know the tokens or whatever. It's a, it's around here somewhere. <laughs> I guess one one question that I would have from my personal game design experience is: Did you ever go to a like discount store and just pick up games for components? Wow, no, I've never done that. No, I feel like an idiot. I feel like I should have done that. I have gone there and bought their decks of cards for like, you know, you get two or three decks for a dollar. I mean, they're not quality cards at all, but they work. You can still write on them. You can do whatever you want with them. But no, never gone there and just bought up cheap games for their <laughs> to dump into my box of my <laughs> box of parts. But maybe I will. That's not a bad idea. So Justin and I bought like five copies of this Magic the Gathering game that Hasbro came out with, God, it's got to be seven or eight years ago. And they just, it was like Shadows over Innistrad or something like that. I've never actually played the game, but I've got like five or six copies of it. And it's like, let's buy this for miniatures and dice and (laughs) tiles. Why not? I mean, if it's full of miniatures, you might as well. That's That's a great idea. We haven't used them, but they're there. (laughs) (laughs) 
in case I ever need them, I've got a bunch in those boxes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, speaking of things that don't get touched on a regular basis, your shelf of shame. Um, yes. I saw that you kind of did an inventory at the beginning of the year and that you were at 64 games. How are you doing with that? So, I... Yes, 64. I'm down to 50. Uh, wow. But I keep going. Yeah, I keep going down to 49, but somehow another game just keeps showing up and I keep getting mm-hmm. back up to 50. Uh, I've been back up to 52 at one time. <laughs> I have definitely played more than the 14 I've come down, but I keep buying more games and not playing them. And that number keeps going back up. Like, what mm-hmm. was the most recent addition to your shelf of shame, Arwen? So I got in my copy of uh, Ten Penny Parks, and mm. that didn't even hit the shelf of shame because <laughs> I played it right away. So I was so proud of myself. I would say probably the the latest that I've had that actually did hit the shelf was uh, Kanban EV. I haven't played that yet. Um, I bought it on sale. It was way too good to pass up and it's staring at me every single time I go down there and I want to play it so desperately it's got a solo mode like like I figured this would be a slam dunk and I have not gotten that thing to the table (laughs) no but it mocks you every time you go to your basement oh absolutely it does yeah I just picked up a copy of I I guess it's called Anno Ano 1503 oh, by yeah. Klaus yep. Teuber. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so playing at work with my coworkers, uh, one of the ladies there, she's like, where do you get your games? And I'm like, everywhere. <laughs> I get them everywhere. Garage sales, antique malls, flea markets, toy shows, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, eBay, and then, you know, from the local game shops, Targets. Um, like, we were talking on my show about No Thanks. I picked up No Thanks hanging on a peg at Target for, like, on sale for six ninety nine or something, or nine ninety nine. And I'm like, you know, I get my games everywhere. So I just picked up Anno 1503 off of Facebook Marketplace. And I asked my coworker to pick it up for me on the way home because he drove past this town and I, it was way out of the way for me. And so he's like, uh, okay. So I gave him the money and he stopped by this lady's house and picked up, brought it to me to work the next day. And he's like, that was one of the weirder things I've done. And I'm like, nah, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. There is just picking up a board game. Isn't that weird? I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just, you know, and I, my, I also, I got friends in Chicago and Indianapolis, so I tend to check the Facebook marketplace in those regions as well. Uh, I had a buddy pick up a copy of Scotland Yard up in Chicago for oh. like five bucks or something, something mm-hmm. stupid. And I'm like, would well, be stupid to pass up Scotland Yard. <laughs> I have a German version that is sealed um, that I bought at a thrift store. Uh, in Topeka, Kansas. Um, actually, it was Lawrence, Kansas. It I was, love how it you know right where it's from. 
Oh, I can I can envision the the shelf that it was on. <laughs> like there's there's games that I haven't played yet, but I know exactly where I got them. Like I I forget the most important details, you know, for my day to day life, but I know where that <laughs> copy of Scotland Yard came from. That's still awesome. haven't had. I I still have not had the heart to to unseal that, but someday, someday I will. Yeah, I've got a. So I did some traveling, and uh, my old company, and the, then uh, some other people were traveling to other places. So I've got uh, copies of Catan from other countries, mm-hmm. in other languages. So it's kind of fun to uh, have the Japanese version. And you don't, you know, once you play Catan as many times as I have, you don't need to read the card. You know what mm-hmm. it says. You may mm-hmm. not know exactly what it says, but you know that's a victory point. You know that's a knight. You don't. It doesn't matter. And then the rules are all language agnostic, right? You don't. Doesn't say brick. It has a picture of a brick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we played the Japanese version a couple times just because it has different plastic pieces. <laughs> really? Instead of, instead of instead of the wood, instead of the wood houses and. Uh, settlements and cities and roads they're all plastic molded stuff and they look awesome and so we're like well we gotta play with these so we you know didn't want to break it out and just put the pieces with the u.s version we're like we all know the game so we went with it did they have like different artwork or anything else like that or no it didn't so it's how like you know what the monopoly card looks like so oh, this must be the year of plenty so i'll take my two <laughs> resources you know so no it was, we played uh played it two times i think it's a lot of it's you gotta play people that know Catan. <laughs> i can tell you that yeah. but it's it's yeah. fun have the different oh, languages <laughs> so you and i both share a common love for button shy games and i had to ask what is your favorite button shy game of all time so it is universal rule by chip bovey and it is an 18 card game 17 of which are planets and it is a 4x game i heard him talk on a different podcast and he mentioned this game, and it was a 4X 18-card game, and I said, no way. No way. Then I learned about PNP Arcade, so I bought the game for $3, printed it off, laminated it, cut it out, and I cannot stop playing it. They, it You have all 4Xs in it, and you have your planets, and they have a cost to build them, and you have resources, you know, your money or whatever, and you put the planets down and then they are rotated. So you play it down and put it in the way that the value that you paid, then one of the things you can do is upgrade it. So you can rotate the card around you get a different, it does different stuff at that point. And you're just trying to get to so many points and that's depending on how many players you have. You need at least three, but please like three to five, the mechanics on the battles and the just the difference of the planets. So I have all of it. The base game, the second wave, the singularity, all the bonus planets, the character packs, whatever. If it said if it said universal rule, I've bought it. And we loved it at the office. Um you could because you can just take so they're all balanced, but you can throw the balance off by just shuffling them all together and just taking 17 random planets. Cause some of them say 
uh, like there's triplets. And so only one can be built in its base form at a time. Well, if you're playing and only one of them's in there, you can just play it whenever. But if there's two, the rule still stands. <laughs> but there may not be the third one. And so, but oh my goodness, I, oh, Universal Rule is my favorite. Um, do you ever play in Vino Morte? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that game gets dirty. You want to you talk about some angry people. Um, uh, <laughs> Vino Morte will get you some angry people at the table. Oh, no kidding. I took it to a bar and used it as an icebreaker to just randomly like insert myself into people's gaming groups because that's what I do. And... Man, I've never seen like these couples getting mad at each other. Why would you poison me? Why would you not give mm-hmm. me wine? Oh man. <laughs> oh. Good grief. That's Chris Anderson uh who designed that one and it is just a riot. I love that one because I was I was always looking I have a ton of solo content from Buttonshy like you know, Rogue. Food Chain Island um you know, was was definitely one of the the big ones for me with that. Um, Skulls mm-hmm. of Sedlek is um, quickly becoming a uh, solo favorite for me as well. Such a fun game. Ugly Griffin in. I, I haven't played that one yet. It it's really good. Like I I prefer Food Chain Island, but uh, Ugly yeah, Griffin. I like in Food Chain just, Island. Yeah. Ugly Griffin Inn is one of those one of those games that the theme kind of hit for me before the gameplay did. But once I started playing the game and really seeing the complexity of how do I have to set these up so that everything doesn't just collapse onto itself, it's one of those games which I I love when that happens. <laughs> I, I get a I get a sense of pleasure every single time that, you know. I, I build this big hotel up and then one little thing happens and the entire thing just comes crashing down. <laughs> you can't help but laugh. No, I'll have to, I'll have to look at uh, ugly Griffin in PMP arcade is just where I go to buy all those. There's like $3 a game, couple sheets of paper, and then I just laminate them and chop them up and get ready. I even bought a corner rounder. Ooh. Yeah, I haven't used it yet. It's might as well Fancy. be on my shelf of shame. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking it out. I've like punched a piece of paper. I'm like, ooh, that makes a pretty round corner. But I haven't uh I've got a uh like a deck box full of like all these uh PMP games from Button Shy. I'm like, I should go through and clip all the corners. And then I sit there and look at it, I'm like 18 cards times four corners. Nah, that's too much work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't do it. <laughs> this is so much effort. <laughs> too much. And then then the last game that I wanted to talk about when it came to uh, Button Shy, have you ever played Liberation? Liberation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the hidden movement game. Yeah. 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 Ba- Basically an 18-card version of Star Wars Rebellion. I love it. Yeah. it's And it's set in the same world as Universal Rule. Okay. In the little pocket world that they call it. So the other one's Anthelion. That's all in that little that little world. That's so cool. I love yeah. that. Liberation's fun. It's, it's, it's a, an infuriating game. 
on both sides of the table. Yes. You know? Yes. If you can't draw the right card, mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can't get that one card you need. Oh, man. It's ready to, like, just, just flip the table. Yeah, you know it's in there, too. You know it's <laughs> somewhere in there, but it's not coming up. No, but that one's, yeah, I, I wish I played that one more, but it's a little hard for my nine-year-old to play. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe I'll take it to work, though, because it's a great two-player game. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's that's the beauty about Budshy is a lot of their games are solo play and two-player games. And it's kind of rare to find one that goes much higher than four. Mm-hmm. But yeah, solo play and, and dual play. Did you ever play Rove? We were yes. programming the robot. Yes. I got a review copy of that and I am fascinated. I can't believe I can't. I didn't remember to wow. say that during, you know, the solo games <laughs> I was listing off. That was so good. It's so incredibly good. I'm so terrible at it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh i i've not beaten it yet i've tried i love the story that it tells so as you know once you do beat it it goes through and it makes that nice panorama of just the different adventures and uh i oh that yeah. that game i i almost forgot about rove which is yep just a testament to the the library that Button Shy's put together, I guess. Oh yeah, well that expansion pack just hit Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So I backed it today. Yeah, three dollars. Whatever. Oh, thanks, Adam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Making me spend more money. Uh, you're gonna spend it anyway. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to lunchtime like right now what are the games that are hitting your table at lunch so we actually went on this because you know i run it so they want to bring a game i'm all up for but they just rather sit around let me bring in my game so we went on this run actually of playing clue and not just clue but like all these different versions of clue that kind of tweaked the game just a little bit. So we played uh, one, for instance, was uh, what happens in Vegas edition. And so you're trying to figure out what happened to you, like where your buddy is. So you're basically playing the plot of the hangover movie. Mm-hmm. But the change is you have a clock. And so you have, you know, every time it comes around, then the, you lose an hour. And there's other ways to lose time during the game. And if you can't solve it by the time your plane takes off, when the when you run out of time, then everybody loses. Hmm. So, but it's, so it's one of those like competitive games where like you're trying to solve the mystery on your own. But if you don't solve it, nobody solves it. You all lose or one person wins. Um, so we played a lot of different versions of Clue that had those little tweaks, um, Secrets and Spies, where you have like the black light and you're trying to read the cards and see where you got to meet so-and-so we played the one, um, the ghost of Mrs. White. Cause you know, they replaced Mrs. White with Dr. Orchid. Mm-hmm. And so there's one with the ghost of Mrs. White. So you have this deck of cards of Mrs. White and I can't remember what triggers it, but then you ask Mrs. White for help and you flip over the top card and it could say, no, I'm not going to help you. Or it could say, 
make your accusation and then any if either one of the if any of those cards are present at anybody they have to show you so you oh, could wow. find out three things all at once so that was fun you can also play with alexa and you can say hey alexa uh miss or mrs white will you help me or whatever the, the key phrase is i can't and so we played a lot of clue um but then the one we've been playing a lot lately is a game that one of my past guests she told me about and it was simply suspects by the spy alley people Mm -hmm. and oh my gosh that game is so much fun so much fun so it's like clue where only you're all guilty of something and you're trying to pin the evidence on the other characters you're dealt a card face down so nobody else knows your identity but you Mm -hmm. and then you're trying to pin these evidence on people and then if they when they land on the on the grand jury space because it's just a circular track when they land on the grand jury space if they have two pieces of evidence on them they're out but if they don't if they land on the grand jury space and three characters have two pieces of evidence on them and they're not out well now you know they're not those three people Mm-hmm. And you're trying to manipulate your die rolls and move the evidence around without giving away who you are while trying to pin down who everybody else is. And that that game was just awesome. And then, of course, King of Tokyo uh, is always a good game to, to have at the office because the barrier of entry is so, so low. And everybody knows everybody knows Yahtzee. And so just kind of changing Yahtzee around a little bit. So that that's another big one that we always always have at the office is king of tokyo and what about uh any hobbies that you have outside of board gaming well i used to be really big in watching movies and i used to be a film reviewer and used to go to the movies all the time and so i really thought when the pandemic hit i was going to really feel that more than i have i think in the since the pandemic started in 2020 i think i've been to the movies four times and I used to go like every week. So I thought mm-hmm. I'd miss it more. I really didn't. But I still like to watch a lot of movies. Um, but I, I like to read a lot. And my reading, though, has been consumed by board gaming. So I read board gaming books by <laughs> different authors. And then once I get done reading their book, I reach out to them to be on my show. <laughs> <laughs> So more than just I, manuals, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've read I've read a bunch of good books um, from various people. Um, Phil Orbane, who used to work for Parker Brothers, um, back in the seventies and eighties, and then he started winning moves. I read all of his books, and then um, so he's like retired, and I reached out to him. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll be on your show," and I'm like, "Really? Oh my gosh." And then I had this like fantastic interview with Philor Baines and he even sent me an autographed copy of his book. So that's awesome. Oh, so cool. Um, yeah, I've got a couple autographed copies from people. I read, I read their book and then I'm like, you know, can I get a copy of your book signed? They're like, yeah. And then they send it to me and, but yeah, I've got, so I've read, a, I mean, I'm looking at my bookcase here. It's kind of gross. The amount of these books I've read. <laughs> There's a lot of books here about board gaming. And they're about board gaming, board gaming design, um, Kickstarter, board gaming history. And 
some of the ones I'm getting into now are just uh, like the one I just finished was called Your Move. And it was just kind of like about board gaming and just like how it affects people and you know how why some people play games and why people some people don't and that was a a really good book and i enjoyed that one a lot so i do a lot of reading about board games (laughs) (laughs) so it's a hobby outside of board gaming but it's still about board gaming Mm -hmm. yeah exactly no and and it's it's board gaming adjacent i think i'd call it there we go board gaming adjacent (laughs) that's what it is (laughs) Adam, anything else that you'd like to talk about? Uh, no, I mean, obviously, uh, you're on my show. Um, go over to eatlunchandboardgame.com. Give it a listen. Beardedboardgames.com is the website for my game company. We've got Fences is out there right now. Then we'll have Shark Hunt coming out. We've got a lot more uh, in the queue for 2022 because we had 2020 was a bust and 2021 was kind of our recovery year so we got a lot uh in the in the pipeline for 2022 couple games i got a book that i've been working on with uh based on the interviews with my guests that uh so go over to board game or bearded board games and join our mailing list and you can keep up to date with what all we're doing awesome well adam thank you so much for being on today's show oh it was great thanks for having me on And I think that will do it for us today. Make sure to take a look at our website at CardboardTime.com. Our Instagram and Twitter is at Cardboard underscore Time. Our Board Game Geek podcast page is up. And take a look at our Board Game Arena group. You can search for Cardboard Time, start up a game with us, or just chat with us. You know, we got a little chat window in there you're able to just go and talk to us and I'll eventually see it and chat right back. So take a look at that. And as always, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for discussion topics, I do have a couple in the hopper I'm excited to talk about. Just email cardboardtime at gmail.com and we'll get right to those. And as always, thanks again for listening and we'll see you again in another two weeks for an episode of Cardboard Time. Happy gaming. Happy gaming.